Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. No more cussing, okay? Hey, welcome, guys. <laughs> um, I'm glad you guys could be here today. Welcome those of y'all online, Grape Top Church. Um, today we are going to be continuing our series, Why Did I Do That? Why Did I Do That? Um, and the series is, for me, a really fun series because it, it really is going into the core of one of our beliefs, and that is to always know why you do what you do. Today, our topic is going to be, let me explain. Let me explain. And there's moments in life to where we... <laughs> We have explaining to do, and then there's moments in life to where people ask us to do the explaining, right? They want an explanation from us. And I want to share this verse in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 through 5. It says, do not answer a fool according to his foolishness, or you will also be like him. Notice it says him, not her, right? All the times, all the times I would say, wow, this... This Bible is so sexist. It's like, well, that this time that's true. <laughs> Answer a fool. <laughs> that was really funny, by the way. Answer a fool as his foolishness deserves, so that he will not be wise in his own eyes. So this is kind of a back and forth, right? Seems um, like it's going against itself. What it's saying is that there are times where you don't even need to give an answer to someone that is just talking foolish. That you, you trying to argue with them only makes you look just as foolish as them. But there are still other times where someone is asking for it and you need to give them an answer or they're going to continue to think that they're smart. <laughs> they're going to continue to think that they're right when they're actually wrong. And so the Bible here, this scripture is saying is that you have to have discernment to know when to just stop talking and don't bother and times that you need to answer somebody. And so this is really the, the catalyst for our topic today of let me explain. Now I feel like the, just like this verse has, that we should start with the times that we should not need to explain ourselves. And it leads us to our first point, which is insatiable agitators. <laughs> um, insatiable agitators. People that agitate you. Everyone thinking of someone now? <laughs> Don't ask questions that you're not looking for an answer to. This is actually one of our aspirational values. Don't ask questions that you're not looking for an answer to. And uh, Abraham, real quick, can you go and close this door, please? Um, just because <laughs> the kids right now are like literally playing clown noises. Like, <laughs> just... <laughs> and so it's throwing me, throwing me all off. Um, so now back to the serious tone. Insatiable agitators. <laughs> Insatiable agitators. And let me share this point with you guys. This is Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19. And Jesus says, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children... Sitting in the marketplaces, who call out to the other children and say, 
We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a song of mourning, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a heavy drinker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. What this verse is explaining is that this generation, and I think that it's very prophetic to this generation, are people that want you to conform to what they are doing, to what they are saying, to what they are trying to lead. Uh, and if you disagree, you are attacked. And notice how it says, we played the flute for you and you didn't do what we wanted. Then we, we sang mourning songs and you didn't do what we wanted. And what, what it's showing is that there's simply people that are insatiable when it comes to controlling others. They, they are agitated if you do not conform to what they want. And it, no matter what you do, there's just no way to win. It, it makes me think about moments where you're actually bitter towards somebody. And like if you were to think of a relative. And there's some of you have a specific relative to where if they were to call you or visit you, you'd be agitated with them. Who do they think they are calling me? It, you know, you haven't talked to me in so long. Who do you think you are? Now you just want to come on in. And then if they don't call, yeah, of course they don't call because they don't care. <laughs> and see, there's no way to really win. They have no way that they could really win because, frankly, they, they, they destroyed that relationship with you in some way or another, right? And there's just no way to, to recover. It's insatiable. And there's simply times for people, where, for us, where we don't need to explain ourselves. Someone's playing the flute. You don't have to explain yourself of why you don't want to dance for them. Someone's playing morning songs. You don't have to explain yourself of why you don't want to sit down with them. You get what I'm saying? There's sometimes where you don't need to give an explanation. And whether it's to a family member that doesn't agree with your life choices or a complete stranger that hates your beliefs, you do not always have an obligation to reply, let alone to explain yourself. Me and my wife got married at uh, speculated a young age. We got married when I, I had just turned 20. My wife was 22. And there's plenty of people around us that had opinions about our life choice to get married before going to college or doing anything like that. You're going to ruin your life. You, you don't even have your own house. You don't have any furniture. Uh, you know, all those kinds of comments and thoughts. And at the end of the day, there's, there's certain points where we, don't, we did not have an obligation to need to reply to them. We, we don't have anything to prove. We don't have anything to explain to you. I don't have to. And notice that even when you start getting that, if you've ever had a moment to where you've caught yourself explaining yourself and then you kind of just stop and like, why am I explaining myself to you? I don't have anything to prove to you. Those are moments that I'm talking about. Because no matter how, even if you've tried to explain yourself to, to those family members that don't agree with your life choices, even with all of your explanations, they still don't agree with you. 
they still talk trash about you. You get what I'm saying? It's, they're insatiable, and they're not going to be satisfied no matter how much you try to explain. And now the other side that I'm saying is a complete stranger that simply hates your beliefs. Us as Christians, if you've been a Christian long enough, you've, you've most likely encountered somebody that disagrees with a religious view of yours. Especially when our religious views start trinkling, uh, uh, trinkling into politics. And what really, what really is about these, these people that want to attack? It's like if you've, if you've ever shared something, posted something on, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and it's almost like someone you didn't even know was in your friends list starts like attacking you aggressively. Crystal knows. <laughs> <laughs> starts attacking you aggressively and you're like, I don't even know this person. And they're like, how can you believe in a God that does this? And you're like, uh, <laughs> well, like in at first glance, you're like, well, I guess I should explain myself to them. But no matter what you say, if you've ever experienced a Facebook debate, no matter what you say, they're not going to be convinced by anything. Right. And especially with the, with a stranger, these people, whether it's strangers or family, are often people that are either extremely prideful. I'm right. I just know I'm right. And there's no convincing me that I'm not right. That is extreme pridefulness. Someone that is not even willing to listen to the, the other side of the story. I'm just right. I know how things are. Or someone that has been extremely hurt. And they, they are outsourcing their ego or their unresolved issues onto you. I find that, let's go to our religious beliefs, our faith in Jesus. The most attacks are from both of those. Someone that's just really prideful, someone that's just been really hurt by church or hurt by a family member that's religious or something like that. And... It's like you just meet them and they're ready to like just beat the beat you to death with their with their opinions and with their disagreements. And it's really it just doesn't make sense like you don't even know me and you have so much emotion that you're bringing to this conversation when I barely met you. And if you take a step back, it's so easy to see that they that all of that emotion has nothing to do with you. They're, you're just they're just using you as the temporary punching bag for all of their built up pride or built up pain. You dig what I'm saying? And you explaining yourself or you answering them, it's not a point. There's no. It's not going to resolve anything. There are times where you can articulate something to say, and it it might be helpful for them. I remember. For me, when I was driving for Uber, nearly every person that got in my car, um, sorry, Uber and Lyft, okay. <laughs> every person that got in my car would eventually ask, so do you do anything besides this? And I would use that opportunity to so say, well, yeah, I'm actually a pastor at a church. And I would ask, do you go to church or anything like that? And I would be really vague in trying to just make it an approachable conversation and if they didn't want to talk about it, I didn't pressure them or anything. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. I understand. And usually, no matter what they said, I told them I would. I understand what they were saying. 
Oh, I hate God. I can't believe people could even uh, do that. I can understand what you're saying. I don't agree with it, but I can understand what you're saying. And I would see moments where people were had all this built-up emotion of hate and pain and start all almost right away like start questioning me. And I would just like back up like, did you get like, you know, what, what happened, man? It sounds like you really have a bad experience. And I would just turn, just not, rather than answering a question, I would just ask them questions about whatever it is that they seem like they're doing. And sometimes people would really find a, a moment of like resolve to where they would tell me this horrible experience they had from church. And I said, man, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. That shouldn't have happened to anybody. You know, I, on behalf of the church, I know that I'm not that church, but I'm sorry that you experienced that. And you'd see moments where people would have like, almost like a, a small hint of closure and it wasn't like a continued fight. But a lot of other times, guys, we try to just argue back and we end up just sounding just as crazy and foolish and hurt as the people that are arguing with us. The majority of times, that's what it's like. And there's simply no win or right answer to somebody that is an insatiable agitator. And they're just, at the end of the day, they're not really looking for answers. They, those questions are, are more so weapons that they've formed. And, and most of the time, they're rhetorical questions, like questions that aren't even looking for an answer. That, that, uh, and I remember, uh, for me, I feel like there's no, there's no um, argument against God that I've heard that has... Um, I've never heard any argument against God or against my faith that has left me speechless. <laughs> there's not been a moment where, for me, I've felt like there's always been an answer for something. And I remember a moment, uh, the, the last time that I gave in to trying to lead an insatiable agitator to truth or to, you know, an answer. And every single question that they had, there's, I was providing an answer for and this, this atheist was telling me, like, oh, I never thought about it like that. Well, what about this? <laughs> and that went on for over two hours in a blockbuster parking lot. <laughs> yeah, that's how long ago this was, okay? <laughs> it was right near the end of the time where they were like, your, bill, your late fee is $170. And I was like, what? <laughs> but then they went out of business. I was like, oh, I was about to pay that thing, too. Um, but the... This guy was for two hours tr was one right after another, and no matter how many answers I could provide, there's always another question because he wasn't really looking for an answer, just another reason to question. And it, it took me two hours of just raw conversation to realize this guy's not going anywhere. He, he really doesn't want an answer. He just wants questions. And you have to understand that with people like this, those questions are just formed weapons against you that aren't looking for answers or simply they're just crazy. And it, it, like, I know that's like a really blatant term and general, but there's some people that are just crazy guys. And there's nothing that you can do to talk to crazy. It's like, they're just crazy. And no matter what you can say or what you can do, they're, they're, you're, they're not going to comprehend. They're not going to be able to really get it because they're just crazy. And when I say crazy, most of the time it's their ego is so large that it has made them crazy. 
Their pride is so insatiable and consuming that they're literally crazy because they think they're so right. There's no other perspective. And it's just no, there's no sense in trying to talk to crazy. And, and so when you're arguing with someone who is not looking for answers or who is just crazy, you end up looking just as foolish and crazy as them. And the best example is Facebook debates. And I'm using, in my notes, there's quotations around debates because that is not a debate. That is just a, a, a long-lasting argument that, that goes nowhere. I remember in my younger years, I partook in a lot of, of these debates when I was accused or attacked. And from my experience, and maybe you guys can agree with me, it never goes anywhere. And I remember just all these times where I was like, well, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna get him with this. And I would take so much time to provide information and it would not go anywhere. And people would, in fact, people would eat, like, just like, uh, just get more confrontational, more aggressive, and there wasn't any convincing. And I'm not trying to tell anyone not to, to, to put any truthfulness out there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you put truthfulness out there and people start trying to argue with you in the comment section, there's not a point to reply. You already put your opinion in your post. Go ahead and put your, your opinions and your thoughts. That's what social media is for, right? But when it comes to arguing back with people in the, the comment section, it's not going to be productive for your life. Those people are not looking for answers. It, it, I, and if, if anyone has experienced that, you can, most of the time you can tell that those people are just wanting to fight you no matter what you say, no matter what you do. It's like just going to be a continued fight. And what it does is it leaves you exhausted. It leaves you drained. And it makes you, it, you, it, it makes you even lose sleep at night over a strange, crazy person that was attacking you through social media and you're, you're still thinking about it later that day. It's not worth it. When you literally just ignore it, that's just a crazy person trying to get your attention and you don't need to, to deal with it. They can post something on their own page. They don't need to keep bothering you in your comment section. Y'all feel what I'm saying? You don't need to explain yourself to everybody especially when people are truly not looking for an answer, only something to question you with. Y'all feel me? I probably just saved y'all like years of counseling right there. <laughs> now, let's go into the times where we do need to give logical explanations. And the, what we just talked about with these insatiable agitators I really what my heart is is for you to develop a carefree perspective they don't agree with me that's fine I, I'm really wanting I'm urging you to just let go of those things let go of those people because they all they're trying to do is project their past and their pride onto you and if you just are carefree about it it doesn't have to stick to you you don't have to carry those burdens now let's go into trying to find understanding for logical explanations you should always know why you believe what you believe. You should always know why you believe what you believe. Let me share this verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13-16. through 16. Peter says, 
And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be in dread, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. But, this is the part where most of us leave out. What does it say there? But with gentleness and respect. What? <laughs> the Bible tells us to be nice when giving a defense for our faith? <laughs> but with gentleness and respect and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. This verse is really powerful because it not only tells us to always be ready to give a logical explanation to our faith, but it even instructs us how to, with gentleness and kindness, in a way to where even after the person doesn't agree with us and continues to spout off about us to others, people will know how you were nice about it, how you were gentle about it, how you were respectful, and they were not. And they will be put to shame, not you. And these are the moments that are genuine opportunities to explain a saving work. And when I say a saving work, I'm going to broaden that to not only in our faith in Jesus, but really uh, any kind of good work that can be lo is, that is logically explained can be a saving work. I mean, think about even like health issues. Imagine someone asking like, man, uh, how, how did you get this way or that way with your health? And you being able to explain it logically, then you produce a saving works for somebody. But if you, uh, if you have no explanation, like, I was just made this way, <laughs> I don't know, then it stops there. But see, even just a logical explanation for almost any avenue can be a saving work for somebody and produce even more opportunities and produce even more results. A proper explanation at the right time gives way for opportunity and even promotion. Even in the secular world, those who know why they are doing their job a certain way are usually people that have intention and are, they are often rewarded and shine among their coworkers. The people that know why they're doing what they're doing, why do you do it that way? How come you call the bottom of the list first? How, how come you, um, before you get started, you do this? You know, those kinds of questions that make a difference and people know why they do things that way because they have intention. And when they, people that know why they do what they do and are able to give an explanation, they're either promoted by their bosses or they simply excel among their coworkers. The opposite is also true. When you just don't even know what you're doing, you're just trying to <laughs> make it, you're usually at the bottom of the muck, right? And that doesn't mean that we always uh, know everything. I think the moment that I started to really grow in my leadership is when I realized that there are a lot of things that I don't know. And so it's not about knowing everything, but what's most dangerous is not knowing that you don't know everything. <laughs> and so 
the right explanation for someone's question about your faith. Let's talk about that. The right explanation for someone's question about your faith may just change their life. Someone that's really asking a question about your faith and you being able to have an articulate answer just might save their life. They may give their life to Christ. It may change their entire life, not only for them, but for their children. It could change the entire lineage of people and the direction of their lives if you were to have a right explanation for your faith at the right time. I want you to think about what it was, what, what kind of changed work happened in you when you uh, surrendered to Christ. For me, it was a very dramatic change. And so I know that my salvation changed the trajectory of my life and my children's lives forever. Because I was addicted to drugs before, I was an alcoholic, I was violent, I was very, very prideful, and I, liked, I, I was hurting people. I would, have, I would have probably been in jail, I would have probably never even had kids. Right now, you know, there, it would have been completely different in my life, but God saving me, it's completely, it's unrecognizable. And so now, think about it for somebody else. That a conversation with you could literally change them from death to life. But only if you are ready to explain yourself. The Bible tells us to be ready in and out of season. This verse is telling us to always be ready. And what I'm getting at is that that's why even just our feedback questions are so important. For us to be able to practice talking about our faith, it strengthens your communication skills. It strengthens your, even your faith to be able to articulate it. And these are things that are so important because that is what changes lives. You know, uh, to limit, for our church, to limit just me to be, uh, if it was just me being articulate to be able to share faith on a Sunday, that's, that's very limited potential, guys. But if we were to take our faith into our workplaces, into our homes, into our, our, family, uh, our families, and all of the places that we go and take our faith with us, that's where we actually see exponential results and change in the lives of those around us. Imagine if, and I'm, I'm trying not to make it like an accusation statement here, okay? <laughs> but for me, imagine if I just took my faith with me on Sunday to give a message. And, and most of you would not even be here in this room if that was the case. Because you would have never been invited to church. Some of you, it was either me or Lauren that invited you here. <laughs> Imagine if we didn't take our faith with us past Sunday. You wouldn't even know about Gravetop. You wouldn't have had your family impacted the way it has been from since coming to church. Y'all get what I'm saying? And that if, if that was just, think about how random our occurrences were. I mean, Mary Kate, you know what her family was coming for? She was buying our Nintendo Wii. <laughs> weed, the Nintendo system, not weed, okay? <laughs> I was delivered from that. <laughs> you, you see how, how simple of a passing that was? It, and 
It could have just slipped by like that. But that that is why it is so important for us to, to have an answer for our faith. Everywhere we go, that's where it makes a difference. Since moving here, I've had a ridiculous amount of uh, jobs to, to be able to sustain my family. I went, I've been from salesman to Uber driver to um, delivery driver to a delivery driver. Anything with your own car, you can get a job nowadays. <laughs> And there was, a, there was one time where I was driving what was called the Game Box, and I drove a 30-foot trailer filled with, with five big flat-screen TVs and video games consoles hooked up to it. And I would drive them to parties and things like that, and kids would go on and play in it. Um, really fun job when no one showed up. <laughs> like I went to a party and none of the kids wanted to play with it. I'll just play Mortal Kombat the whole time. <laughs> like, the best two hours I've ever been paid. <laughs> and... I remember one event, this, this lady got on, and, and it was at an Easter event, and she, uh, I, I was, at one point, um, she was coming on, right, she came on to see what was it, it was about at the end, and at some point, she revealed that she was not down with any of this Easter crap, <laughs> in her own words, and she was just there for her husband, uh, because he was religious, and this and that, and I could have been, it could have been a moment where I just like, well, I'm not here for that, you know, just like, but I said, oh, well, what makes you believe so differently? And just, just simple, you know, if someone's willing to be that for is like, well, they must like to be asked about it. (laughs) And so she started telling me all of her thoughts and all of her reasoning and, and her explanations. And, and I said, oh, I see, I see where you're coming from. And and I said, but, you know, I'm a Christian. I, I do disagree with you. And I said, what do you, so what are your thoughts about, like, just simply the resurrection of Jesus? Because that's the foundation of our faith. You know, do you not believe, so you just don't agree with that or believe in it? Oh, I think that they just lied about it. I mean, it's not true. I said, and so you think that even all of the government officials were in it on it too? Like, that was just this big, huge thing. It's like, oh, yeah, it's all, it's, it's all just covered up. And it was all just to control people, this and that. I said, oh. You know, I, I could see how, you know, you can develop that conspiracy. But what about the part where I said, you know, in that time, women weren't considered uh, uh, to have their own testimony. Their, their testimony and the witness in court wasn't even valid, right? She's like, yeah, I know. I said, so if they were making it all up, why would the first people that Jesus revealed himself be a woman after the resurrection if everything was stemming on the resurrection? It seems like that wouldn't make sense. Why not uh, make it a big, you know, at least talk to one of the disciples first. Why would he first show himself to a woman if it was all just being made up? And uh, and also, why would all the disciples be, not be willing to die before the cross, but after the resurrection, they were all martyred if it was all just made up? Why did they switch? And I'm telling you guys, that kind of explanation, which was, it wasn't even that logical. It was just like simple common sense of like, taking a step back and looking. I didn't have like dates or times and like, but did you know that if you traced all the way back to this, and if you look at the stars in this way, it actually shows the Trinity. No, it was, it was real simple. It's like, well, why would he talk to a woman first if a woman wasn't even a valid testimony? And this profound atheist told me, I never thought about it like that. I'm going to think about what you said because uh, she didn't have an explanation. And what I'm getting at is that those moments 
Those moments where you allow yourself to give in to an opportunity just may change somebody's life. I've never spoke to that woman again, but for an atheist that was that aggressive to leave a conversation saying, I never thought about it like that. That was a win in my book. And instead, we waste our times behind our phones or computer screens arguing with somebody that doesn't even care. When there's the real differences that are made are in our personal interactions with everyday life. It's almost like those coincidental moments, those opportunities. And if, if we are ready for when the opportunity comes, that's when great change can happen. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so we should always be good stewards of our faith by being ready in and out of season to explain our faith. In the book of Hosea, the Bible says that for the lack of knowledge, my people perish. For the lack of knowledge, my people perish. Which I think is evident uh, in a time, in timeless with humanity. That for the lack of knowledge, people perish. What it's showing is that when people don't know why they stand for something, they'll follow anything. And it's showing that knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, and when we and when we are and, and when we search for knowledge of our faith, knowledge will only strengthen your reasoning for enduring when going through a difficulty. The more articulate your why is, the more grounded you will be through a storm. What I'm getting at is that we, the Bible is the most accessible book in the world. Anyone can download the Bible for free but through the YouVersion Bible app. It's the number one sold book in the world. There's no other book that people literally buy it by the boxes to distribute it for free to other people. Think about that. The, the Bible is so accessible. And it has so much knowledge for us to find. And that's not even, that's not even adding the power of God to it. That's just like basics. But now add the power of God to the Bible as well. And you're talking about an, this unbelievably powerful force of knowledge that, that, has, that is right at our disposal. And the more that we feed ourselves this knowledgeable, uh, this knowledgeable book, the more articulate we can explain it. Y'all feel me? And there's so much other stuff that we could do besides just listening to church messages. Think about how much content we could just find through podcasts, through audiobooks, through anything. We're able to find information that is easily able to strengthen our knowledge of our faith. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that if we practice finding knowledge for our faith on a regular basis... We practice even trying uh, better trying to articulate our faith. Not only will it make a difference for when someone asks us about our faith, but even when we're going through something, you are grounding yourself through a storm to where you won't be knocked over easily if you understand your, your reasoning for why you believe what you believe. And knowledge only better articulates that why and makes you more grounded. Y'all feel that? For me, I know that there's nothing in this world that can redirect my faith 
And I, I continually try to grow my faith, my knowledge of my faith, because I never want there to be. And that has to be the mission for each Christian that I want to strengthen my why. Let's go to the last part of our topic today, and that is reflecting lifestyles. Reflecting lifestyles. Here, I want us to really have a self-examination. We talked about being carefree about the people that, uh, that want to fight us, letting go of those things. We talked about understanding how important it is for, for us to know why we believe what we believe, to be able to give an art, a logical explanation. And now we're going to talk about our lifestyles and doing a self-reflection. The oh, My quote isn't there. Well, the quote is, <laughs> the best evidence for your faith is your lifestyle. The best evidence for your faith is your lifestyle. That would have been so nice on the screen. Uh, the best evidence for your faith is your lifestyle. In James chapter 2, 18 verse, uh, through 20, it says, But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? James is like an aggressive book. <laughs> this, is, this is actually James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. This is not James the disciple. This is the half-brother of Jesus. So this is probably why he's even more aggressive. <laughs> he's like, like yeah, I, I picked on Jesus when he was a kid. <laughs> yeah, we fought. <laughs> what James is saying is that faith without works is useless. What he's saying is that actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. And if our action is contrary to our words, then our words are meaningless and hypocritical. If I were to say to my wife, I love you, and then I hit her, my love you is meaningless because my actions showed otherwise. The same goes for our faith. We become hypocrites when we say one thing but do another. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect. Hey, I've, I've had my share of road rage, okay? I've chased people that knocked on my door when it says, do not knock on my door, <laughs> and told them aggressively never to knock on my door again. I've, I'm not saying that it's about being perfect, but I'm talking about a, strived, a striving lifestyle that shows that our words meet our actions. Even if we have the best explanations... If you could articulate your faith perfectly and articulately and our lifestyle doesn't reflect it, it won't be received. You know, this last year, there was a famous, uh, world-renowned um, apologetics teacher that passed away this last year. And it's like, I, I, I would almost get irritated when people would... would tell me that I should listen to him because like I listen to underground stuff okay <laughs> that people of the underground that's what I get into not this pop most well-renowned person <laughs> but I would hear his name uh, quoted to me all the time like oh yeah like I was listening to this thing find this guy and he died this last year 
very tragic, sad. Everyone was, you know, bummed out. And then a couple months later, uh, it was came out that he had so uh, so many accounts of sexual harassment within his reach to the point where uh, he would, whenever he would travel around the world, he would go to massage parlors and and get sexual favors. That he even paid had a, a massage a, a massage therapist paid for her school and her house uh, and paid for her rent so that he could be his, she could be his personal liaison or whatever they call and he would go and uh, have sex with her and when she came out about it she she considered it rape because she felt like she had no choice and it was just like a you know just demonizing it was just horrible all the things this guy said and now, uh, it it was also came out that one of the uh, one of his assistants or somebody close to him that he would have these engagements of sexual harassment with told her you can't tell anybody about this because if if uh, you let it out that this happens then there are all of these people millions of thousands of people that I've talked to and spoken to have heard my message would lose their salvation it'd be your fault because you let it out. And while it's not definitely not her fault, <laughs> what he said was true is that his messages, his his teachings, his, all of his theological degree is meaningless now because of his lifestyle. It, I, it he can't even you knowing that you're not even going to want to listen to one of his lessons that could have some profound explanations and insight just because you know what his lifestyle is. There's certain even singers that I used to like their worship music and then found out that they had this huge uh, adulterous scandal and no longer produce music or anything. But just like I can't even listen to their old stuff now <laughs> because it's like it just connected to their their life, this their scandalous and hypocritical lifestyle. And so what I'm saying is that this verse is telling us that without the works to connect to your faith, your faith will be useless. Our good works should inspire others in a way that brings change without even needing an explanation. And this, when, it, when it's saying being saved by, it's not saying being saved by our works. It's not saying that we earn our salvation. Our, our salvation was paid for by the blood of Jesus alone, by his resurrection. But what it's saying is that our, when, we, when we do have good works, it strengthens our faith and it strengthens our testimony by what we do and how we live life. Y'all feel that? Our works are important. Just take a moment to, you know, I'm allowing myself to be the fishbowl here, transparent. Imagine finding out some scandalous thing about me. Would it not just like rock your faith? Would it not disturb you? It would make you uneasy, unsettled. And so, Gabe just started laughing. <laughs> what I'm getting at is that instead of putting me on a pedestal, stop looking at yourself as so insignificant. You are more important than you realize. And your circle of influence is more powerful than you realize. Your lifestyle matters. 
And there's people that look up to you without you even realizing it. There's family members that may not even talk to you, but they know your beliefs and they examine you from a distance. And just your lifestyle is a testimony to them. It is, it is encouraging more faith in them than any conversation that could ever be had just because they see your life changed. Our lifestyle and how we live life is actually most important. And it should be reflected. Our faith should be reflected in our lifestyles. And I want us to close on this note. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And there's a lot that we talked about today. We talked about people that just want to attack us. Have questions, not looking for answers. And how we need to let go of trying to please those people, trying to prove ourselves to those people. We don't need to explain ourselves to those people. And we also talked about the need of, the, of a logical explanation, the need to have understanding of why we believe what we believe. And now we talked about how our lifestyles should reflect our faith. And if you're here, and at any point you're hearing this message and thinking, Man, I, I don't even know if my lifestyle has ever reflected my faith. Maybe you're thinking, I've never really made a moment or a decision to where I trusted in Jesus. And you need to make that kind of decision today. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. So right where you're at, if that's you... I want you to just have your own conversation with God. The book of Romans says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead, that surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is that if you just uh, confront God, talk to him, and be authentic about it, then that's all it takes to start this journey. And I strongly believe that every person should have a moment where they know that they made a decision. Now, if you're here, and maybe God is just, there's a lot of different areas that God could be dealing with you. And whether it is really just you dropping the burden that you've been carrying, trying to please these people that are impossible to please, and you know that God is just telling you, like, hey, let it go. That's not your burden to carry. You can't be their savior. You can't, you can't be there for, uh, you can't be the answer that they're wanting. You just can't. God is speaking to you. Maybe you're here, and God is just edifying you and encouraging you to strengthen your faith. And you just feel like God is giving you this calling to be prepared for those opportunities. And you want to see people saved. You want to people see people set free. And you want to be ready to give the, the right explanation at the right time when God is dealing with you. Or maybe 
you are just having this self-reflection realizing that there's some lifestyle things that need to be changed in your life and God is calling you to just make some changes and turn from certain things and towards new things see God is speaking to to everyone here in different ways but I want you to just have your own conversation with him and say yes yes God I want your will to be done in my life Holy Spirit I want you to have your way in me and just have a moment of surrender right now with you and Jesus God I thank you for what you're doing in each person's life and I know that you're speaking to them clearly and I pray that you just affirm to each person what it is that you're saying pray that you cause this to be a day that that changes us and that our faith is truly edified and that we grow I pray for your presence to be among your people here in Jesus name amen now we're gonna get ready to go into some time of worship um, before we do, let me sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Have a good life. We love you. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.